0: Well, I have to say that generally, this is uh, this is from a from a deterrent perspective. This device is much better than peeing on your opposition. Uh, you know, the, the, those those people drafting behind you. I think this is this is you know both uh, this is better for the drafter and the draftee, I think.
1: Yeah, we hope so. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew, and I'm Michael,
2: and this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining Andrew and myself today is James Elvery out of uh, New Zealand with an innovative uh, product that uh, may change uh, a race or two in the, in the near future. Uh, James has, uh, well, a long history in triathlon, um, starting from a, quite a young age as a competitor, uh, working his way up to the, the ITU circuit, working through that until about 2012 and then uh, transitioning into a job with Specialized in New Zealand and uh, developing the product that we're talking about today, which is called Race Rangers, which you'll learn all about, um, and launching it very, very recently. So James, thank you very much for uh, taking the time and coming on the show. And uh, why don't you start by fleshing out that very brief introduction that I just uh, <laughs>
1: gave of you. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, as I say, I've been a triathlete my whole life, and um, since I was a young young boy, I remember my dad doing races in the eighties. Um, have a vivid memory of him washing sand off his feet in a bucket in a transition area. When I was uh, <laughs> and we, uh, kids were allowed in the transition area, I think at that time. Um, so yeah, goes way goes way back. And um, I, I sort of wanted to be a triathlete through my school years as much as I could. And you couldn't really race back then as, until you were about thirteen. Um, ended up going overseas for my first races when I was about fifteen. And yeah, so sort of went into an ITU career from there on. Uh, Raced around the world for around uh, eight or nine years. Sort of went to, traveled to over forty countries and experienced a lot of cool stuff. Um, I sort of got to around uh, about thirtieth in the world on the on the ITU circuit. I could sort of comfortably Mm. sit around there. I could never really kind of crack it right to the top. Um, I got to sort of fifteenth in a World Series race. Sort of one of my best results. Um, Was a handy swim biker. I've sort of gotten a few swim bike breakaways in the last few years. Oh, nice. But. um, yeah, eventually sort of didn't make the London Olympic team in 2012 for New Zealand. And, yeah, did a year of non-drafting racing in Europe. Just sort of figured out pretty quickly it, it was going to take me a couple of years to readapt to that and, uh, you know, basically un- re-understand the, the non-drafting dynamics of the races. Um, and so I was sort of 28 years old and decided I'd probably better come home and listen to my parents for once and um, <laughs> get a real job. And, uh, yeah, I, I basically came home and started yeah started a job that Specialized. Um, sort of sales marketing and all sorts of roles. And uh, yeah, this sort of private project with Race Rangers has been a bit of a hobby in the background for um, my co-founder, Dylan McNeese and I, um, for all that time, since I retired, really. Um, but uh, yeah, it's got more and more serious recently. And um, yeah, we sort of launched it two weeks ago.
2: So I think it's safe to say, you know your way around triathlon. You're not coming into this with closed eyes. You're, uh, you're pretty well aware of what's going on in the industry.
1: Yeah, I mean... To be fair, I haven't raced much in the last few years. I've had um, had three kids, and I've got a bit bad back, so I can't really move too much. But I, I do swim, and I do still follow the sport. Um, but, you know, you do have those connections with, you know, a lot of the athletes still racing. We we personally know from, from racing days. And Dylan, my co-founder, he only retired last year, um, and he's actually involved with the PTO. So he's um, on the on the athlete board there. So, yeah, some really good connections within the sport, um, which, is, which is handy for sure.
2: So looking at the, I guess the genesis of the idea, what was the initial inspiration for you and what do you hope to accomplish with race ranger?
1: Yeah. So, um, I guess since I was back to those days when I was a toddler, um, I've always known about this problem of drafting and didn't even probably know what it was back then, but I heard about it after races and, um, you know, it's it's just always people arguing or, or moaning about it. And, um, I, I, you know, obviously came to know what it was and, uh, in that last year of racing, when I tried to do long distance, it, um, it basically really pissed me off. I was a good swimmer, and I was a pretty decent biker, um, and I would uh, you know, expect this big train of guys to catch me after the swim, and they'd, they'd catch me up. And, but then I'd, I'd find I didn't really know what to do next. I One would pass me, and then I didn't really know how far I should drop back without worrying about getting a penalty, and I'd open up too much of a gap. The guy next would, would drop it in front of me, and so on and so on, and I'd end up towards the back of the train, um, you know, with a really low heart rate and I'm wondering, Hey, what the hell just happened? And then an attack would go up the front of the group and a split would happen. And that was the end of the race, you know, some big mm-hmm. German guy. And so, yeah, I saw sort of, that was one of the reasons I, I sort of didn't carry on. And, um, that, that was sort of, you know, obviously I knew the problem quite well, but I didn't really think much about it. Um, and then at that year I was sort of deciding I was going to give it up and I didn't really know what to do next. And so I'd, I'd, met my current wife who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, in France. She's French and um, I was living out of her apartment uh, in sort of October when it's time to normally come back to New Zealand and start training again. And I just sort of hung out there for about a month uh, trying to, I guess, work out what I was going to do. And um, yeah, I'd I'd met uh, Felix from Challenge and I had really, you know, was really inspired by what he was doing and seemed like an awesome guy. And I got this idea that I wanted to work for him. So I spent, um, yeah, these sort of three, four weeks sort of trawling through race results and getting a feel for the size of the triathlon market and, you know, making sure this was a good industry to be going into. And, and I really liked what challenge were doing at the time. They were sort of expanding, um, around the world and it seemed like they were, you know, going to really have a good crack at sort of being a a proper competitor to Ironman. Um, and so I came home and, and had this meeting lined up with, um, his number two, who was a Kiwi at the time. And so I went to this expo at an event and she ended up not being there. Um, but my sponsor that specialized was there. And so, you know, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here to meet someone about a job. And he said, oh, we've got a job going. And I gave him my CV and that's how I ended up at Specialized. Hmm. But, you know, this <laughs> this sort of data that I'd gathered, I you know, I kept it on my computer and um, I'd been messaging with Dylan, my good mate, Dylan McNeese. And he was in the US uh, racing non-drafting and, you know, getting pissed off about the drafting. And um, he was it was him really that sort of pushed me. He's like, hey, like someone's going to do something with this at some point. We should have a go at trying to make something maybe. And so, yeah, we sort of, and I had this idea of, hey, yeah, actually, if you applied all these numbers of athletes that are competing in the sport and you're able to make a business out of this kind of like timing does. that um, that probably worth something going after it might be a career. So I, you know, knuckled down at specialized, but at the same time, we, we end up playing with some lasers on bikes. That's the first thing everybody thinks of. If you think of what, you know, design me a, an anti-drafting detection system, they'll, they'll put a laser on a bike and try and shine a light on the road. Um, so it turns out that you need a really, really bright laser. Um, that's basically illegal in most countries. Hmm. Um, and. Yeah, and you'd also be able to manipulate the angle of it quite easily. So, we scrapped that pretty quickly. Um, we we sort of didn't let the idea go though. And in 2014, we tried um, ultrasonic sensors. So you guys are probably familiar sends out a sound wave, bounces bounces off things. Uh, there's a measurement of the time it takes, and that sort of gives you a, a distance measurement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we actually formed formed a company then back in 2014. It's the first time we, we incorporated and paid some people to do some investigations for us. Um, and basically, it worked quite well. You could get fairly good accuracy, maybe 20, 30 centimeters accuracy. Um, but the problem was it it just bounces off everything. So trees or road signs, um, and you can't really distinguish between one athlete or another. Um, and then the other sort of killer for us was with temperature, the, the accuracy can vary quite a bit. So you start the day on a cool day and it ends up being a hot day. You'd have to recalibrate the devices a number of times. Mm -hmm. So that, that didn't work out. Um, and it, you know, then there was a period probably three years where nothing really happened. And we, we just sort of would talk about it every few months over a beer and, Hey, there's gotta be some way to do this, but it, it sort of seemed like a bit of a dream and, you know, Oh bugger, we'll just end up being one of those guys who works for other people our whole lives sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, we, we couldn't really find anything. Yeah. Any way to solve it. And I guess it came to a point where, um, my a really good friend of mine, Lauren Vidal, you guys may remember, he was a ICU triathlete came fifth at the Olympics for France. Um, so he was, I had two weddings, I had a French wedding and a Kiwi wedding and he was my best man at my French wedding and still the best <laughs> man at my Kiwi wedding. And, uh, that was, that's how yeah. you
0: don't, that's how you don't offend friends, right? Like that's how you, yeah, you got to, perfect. Yeah, you just need two weddings.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that was, um, that was 2015 and end of that year, he actually unfortunately passed away had a heart, uh, heart problem and, um, mm-hmm. died suddenly at the end of 2017, sorry, end of 2015 that year we got married and uh so a year after that um my wife and i were sort of you know struggling you know not struggling but we're starting a family and, and trying to think of ways to start our own business of some sort to get ahead and she just sort of said to me hey you know what about the drafting thing you're always talking about you know what would laron do just just bloody do it um he was the kind of guy who would really not uh i guess leave any stone unturned or accept status quo he'd always push harder you know, I remember this vivid, vivid memory. We'd be sitting after a massive day of training. I'm completely dead on the couch. You know, can't be bothered eating dinner. And he's got a, um, a dumbbell on his knee doing little, um, calf raises to just get a little bit <laughs> of strength. You know, we'd always be taking it to the nth degree. So that kind of lit a fire for me. And I spent two months. That was started 2017 two months. Um, yeah. Researching online. I'm not at all an engineer. I, I do have a science degree, but sports science degree. And, um, so I don't have any training in that area, but um, just spent a month online and at night and found um, yeah, found this technology that, that seemed to do what we hoped it would do. And uh, yeah, we took it from there and took it to some people to get investigated. And here we are nearly uh, nearly six, what is it, I can't even count, four, you know, five years later with um, something ready to show the world. So it's been a lot of <laughs> twists and turns to get here. <laughs>
0: What I really like about this story is that most of the, most of the folks we talked to that have developed something innovative and cool is they felt inspired in some way, and clearly you were inspired by Laurent. But uh, the 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 through line that I that I heard from your you know from your uh, experience in in draft illegal racing and your friend's experience is that it, this this came out of frustration, out of being pissed off about about the the advantage that other people have taken or the liberty that other people have taken with the rules, and it was that frustration that birthed. This product i think andrew i think this might be the first time that that being angry at somebody else is uh (laughs) is the genesis of a of a fun new device
2: that'd be a good tagline actually like (laughs) race rangers born out of anger (laughs) actually
1: it's really funny (laughs) you mention that because if you look at our name it's one word race ranger and if you don't have a capital for the second r it just looks like racer anger which we're trying to reduce. <laughs> I like it. That was no, totally unintentional.
2: <laughs> Hidden meanings. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's understandable. And I think everyone who's listening probably remember seeing. Um, I think it was Ironman Texas in 2018, which was a joke. Um, so I think Andrew Starkwitz was out front, so he wasn't drafting anyone. But uh, all of the amateur racers, all of the age groupers were in giant draft packs on, on dry bikes, which is, uh, very dangerous as some of the videos that surfaced showed, because there were these people riding in close proximity who weren't trained for it, weren't experienced with it. And there were some massive crashes and, and most of that I would attribute to human nature because they knew that they weren't going to get caught. And it was mm-hmm. announced at the start of the race. There was going to be no policing of this. And, People figure they can get away with it. And unfortunately, if you're riding up ahead, and this is somewhat similar to your experience, but if you're riding up ahead, you're putting in a decent race, you're never going to be able to outrun a massive pack of people who are drafting. So you're Mm going to get caught up in it. And to drop back, um, you would need to drop your power, essentially, or you'd need to fall out of your, your normal race zone. So it naturally just picks up people. Um, so it was a really unfortunate circumstance. And I think there's a lot of people who try to race, honestly, who are very frustrated seeing that. And I think it's, um, in my opinion, it's a very good thing that this is coming forward now that, uh, that there's a solution to this because it's, for me, it's a huge amount of frustration when I see people zip by me drafting, well, not drafting, but, uh, following maybe five meters apart on an Ironman race.
1: Yeah. There's a whole lot of issues with the drafting issue that, you know, it's quite complex when you get into it. Um, you know obviously the referees are guessing the distance between the athletes and the athletes are also guessing. So that's the first thing you've got, Mm -hmm. you know, my guess against your guess basically, but uh, the referees guess is boss. You don't, you don't actually have the, you don't actually have the opportunity to um, challenge a drafting penalty because it's such a, you know, that's their call totally. Um, And so that's first one. And then there's only so many referees out there, you know, and you can have, as you say, you know, 3000 athletes on a course and there might be a maximum of 20 referees, um, you know, 40 eyeballs watching what's going on. So as an athlete, you are constantly worried about Are the referees going to come up and catch me for something I'm not trying to do. Um, or why aren't the referees around me catching these guys who are cheating around me? Um, mm-hmm. or, um, or actually everyone's cheating. I'm just going to cheat as, you know, to a little bit, but I, I, hopefully I'm not so much that I'll get a penalty, but it's, it seems like of the draw. Um, and you know, of course you can hear them coming when they do come as well. So everyone spaces out at that point. So, um, yeah, a whole lot of inefficiencies with the with the uh, drafting rule. Um, and yeah, we, we just sort of figure that someone's going to use technology to overcome this, surely. It's the number one problem in our sport um, if you ask competitors and you give them the option. If you don't give them the option, not many people actually call it out as an issue because they don't really feel it's something they can fix. But if you give them a range of options of things they'd like to improve about the athlete experience at a particularly a long-distance event, um, we sort of had results of 60 to 70% of people choosing drafting as their number one my number one thing. Um, oh, so you, polled, so you polled folks for this? When oh, yeah. You were doing so your we,
0: research, I guess? Yeah.
1: we started with some surveys at events. And then um, once we had a, a concept, we actually made a, a video prototype of what we were going to plan to build. Uh, and we showed that to 18, we did 18 one hour interviews with um, athletes from right around the world um, of all different levels, so beginners up to, Sort of top age group athletes, and um, from yeah, Germany, France, all over Europe, and a few Americans as well. That's where most of the people are racing from. And um, yeah, that was that was quite quite good because you always have a vision of what you think the product should be, but um, you should definitely still talk to your your end users and your customers. And we did get mm-hmm. some really good feedback from that. I was convinced at that point that we should have a completely automated system that didn't require referees anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Dylan Dylan told me I was wrong, but I didn't listen to him. I learned my lesson, <laughs> um, but. Um, All the, uh, yeah, all the, all the feedback we got from both athletes and officials and event organizers was definitely keep the decision at least for, you know, five, 10 years, at least uh, with the, with the referees so that they are ultimately still making the decision. And it's sort of just race ranger, I guess, is just offering them more information and it leaves the decision with them. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And I think until people have confidence in the system, that's going to be the best path forward. And uh, before, before the, the recording here, Michael and I were just chatting before you joined, actually, uh, that uh, this is kind of like self-driving cars in a way where there's um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of risk handing over all control to the self-driving car. And, uh, and you know, it's not the same stakes, but uh, I think there are a lot of people who would probably receive penalties and say, hold on, I don't feel like I drafted. Even, even if they did infringe, there's probably a lot of people who would argue, but at least when you have the referee in the loop, uh, it does give a chance to get some data on the efficacy, but also um, you have that irrefutable additional person who's using data, using their judgment and assessing the situation. So it's it's just giving them an extra tool, which I think is a great thing.
0: Yeah. I would see it this way, the the way that you're you're proposing to use the system as, as race rangers plus referee. And I, I, I think we're kind of skipping ahead. I wanted to have a discussion of how it works for us, but <laughs> listeners bear with us. So you'll have to kind of keep this in the back of your mind when it's, we talk about how the adventures. thing works. It is choose your own. You can fast forward to. I don't. I don't have a timestamp because we're in the middle of an interview. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it. If you. If you keep the referee in the loop, the way that I conceptualize it is it. The. It's what you have now plus an unbiased, you know, metric with the race rangers data that you have. So now you have referee plus. Whereas if you were to completely replace the race refs with the system, then you could make the argument that, you know, you you did away with something and you replaced it with something that may be better and may be worse. Whereas referee plus the system, I imagine, is is can only be, you know, an additive thing where it can only be better.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, and we'll just get the listeners to call in and remind us to come back to this point when we're finished. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
2: so, I guess uh, this this now leads into what what is the technology? How does it work? And uh, what who is the target person? Is this something that every athlete is required to have? Or is it something that uh, only select athletes would have? How do you envision this?
1: Sure. So um, we've um, we've built a whole model around it being used for age group fields. So we don't see it being a a viable business as a, as a pro only thing. Um, you know, at your biggest events, you might get 50 pro men, 50 pro women, uh, which, you know, it's a hundred sets of devices and it's not really worth the five, six years and all the investment that's going <laughs> in, um, and, yeah. and the work to come still. So for us, it, it has to be, a, a you know, both pros and age groupers use, uh, from the start point. And so this is sort of a discussion point, I guess, still ongoing, but, um, you know, if we can get a complete field, say of 2,000 athletes, um, we can spread the cost of delivering that service at the event quite thinly. Um, mm-hmm. Now, not all those athletes might you know, find it that useful or actually want it as part of their event experience. And so perhaps there's an opening for those events to segment their field in some way so that you have a competitive group and a more fun group, uh, perhaps more like a grand Fondo, where drafting is um, discouraged but perhaps not Actively policed as much. Um, yeah, you know, it's more about the referees probably communicating with you to keep safe and avoid those Texas situations, uh, rather than you know being really officious with the drafting rules. Um, and then you've got your more competitive athletes who perhaps want a, a placing in their age group. Uh, they want to qu- kind of qualify, um, and they you know, obviously pay a bit more and they get the race ranger system for the day if they want to compete mm. in that event. Um, so potentially there's some segmentation possible at least initially. Um, to make this work, um, so yeah, basically, what is the system? So it's uh, two devices that each athlete would be given as part of you know the race that's using it um, before the event, uh, just as you're given your um you know your timing chip generally and your your race numbers and your in your event pack. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so you'll get this little little envelope inside there with um, these two devices in it that you have to fit to your own bike. Um, they'll be fairly easy to fit to your either your seat tube or your seat post. So as long as they're sitting, sorry, this is the rear one. As long as it's sitting um, above the the height of your rear tire, so the light can be seen from behind, basically. Okay. Um, that's the rear one, and so anywhere along that sort of height, and then um, on the side of the the right hand fork blade, so the other the other side from what we might have put out now, our, our pictures a couple weeks ago, the concepts, but um, <laughs> okay, away from the disc brake on the uh, the right hand side of the bike. Right. Okay. And um, yeah, they look like sort of couple of hockey pucks, really, that's how they've been described to me. Um, they're hmm. um, seven centimetres in diameter across a circular shape. And they're two, uh, 27 mil thick, so about the thickness of a uh, regular seat post. And you attach them with um, recyclable cable zip ties. So hmm. it's something we're generally familiar with attaching things to our bike with. Um, <laughs> there'll be some sort of frame protection to you know make sure you don't damage your bike you know, there's a bit of a concern around that for a lot of people, mm. uh, but, but generally quite easy to attach. And we'll be at the event um, to assist you in the days before as well. We have it sort of an expo booth. If anyone's having trouble, they can come and uh, get some assistance. Mm-hmm. And so you fit them yourself. There's no buttons or USB ports or anything like that. You don't have to worry about them. It's just like a solid piece of plastic, just like your timing chip. Um, you turn up at, at transition to rack your bike, generally the day before um, you'll be, uh, your, your devices will be scanned all the way in to make sure that they're fully functional, uh, and that they match your competitor race number for the day. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you, we've tried to make them as, um, as robust as possible and sort of tamper proof so that you can't, you know, plug a couple of leads across your car battery into them or something and, and short circuit the whole <laughs> thing. Um, but you know, ultimately you can destroy anything if you want to. So they will be checked yeah, as you come in. Um, and then there'll be random checks as well while you're sewing. So. You know, if someone got into transition and then swapped their device with someone else to try and fool the system, um, that's, you know, that can be randomly checked while you're swimming as well. Um, and yeah, it's sort of worth mentioning that um, any sort of tampering with the system would be one of the rules that we would need to change. So we need to have a rule written in or an amendment to the rules that if you're in a race where race range is being used and the athlete is caught tampering with the system in any way or sort of trying to manipulate it, that would be a disqual- disqualifiable offense but uh, right. of the other race. Maybe...
2: Maybe you can have that, uh, well, I know with banks, when they they give over money in a bank robbery, they've got that ink that explodes. (laughs) You could have something (laughs) like that, or possibly a stink bomb that goes off when someone tries to pamper.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Might be a couple of iterations down (laughs) the line. Yeah. So you basically put these things on your bike. You don't do anything with them. You just go about your races. You normally do. Um, And then... How it works is the devices basically turn on. I'll go a bit more technical with you guys because you that's yeah, the kind of audience. Go got. for it. So, mm-hmm. Green light. Yeah. So the devices know that they're within the transition area, there or thereabouts, um, on the day of the race during a, a certain sort of time period when they should turn on. Mm-hmm. So they come out of a deep sleep, uh, and then they'll be in a, a sleep state, and then they won't actually do anything until you're quite far out on the course. Um, generally, there's parts of the course where rational referees won't give an athlete a penalty currently. Mm-hmm. so particularly your, your first few kilometers of the bike or miles um if you're going up a steep climb if you're coming through a, a tight section through a town or something like that generally the referees you know they might not tell you that that's a you know drafting free zone because they don't want you to draft through there but um they won't actively police or give penalties through there rationally so we won't report any information from those zones which would be pre-mapped into the system mm-hmm. and i say I'd say the athletes won't be sort of notified of where those are Um, but at least the referees won't be getting drawn to those areas. Um, yep. So you start your race, you're perhaps, um, coming up to someone ahead of you. Uh, there'll be nothing at all to see until you get to within a sort of usable range. So you, um, we've, we've set it currently off a 12 meter draft zone. Okay. And so when you get, when you get to 16 meters, there's a signal. And when you get to 14 meters, the signal changes. And then when you enter the draft zone, it changes again. So there's three different signals and this is a light signal. How
0: are these? Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yep.
1: A light signal coming from the back of the bike in front of you. So where you should already be looking. Uh, and this is sort of an important point. We didn't want to put something on your own handlebars that you'd need to be looking down at and then sort of trying to monitor the situation ahead at the same time. So it's just you're riding along. Just focus on the butt of the Anfredino in front of you, and um, you see the lights. Um, you know, change change color and That's and a problem I want
0: is to is to be drafting <laughs> <Yeah>. Anfredino.
1: <laughs>
2: Next time I pass him, I'll remember that. Yeah.
1: we have to get this added into Zwift (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: yeah so this light signal basically changes at the moment it's a a red red flash that comes on at 16 meters It changes to a more rapid red flash at 14 meters and it changes to a blue one at 12 meters once you enter the draft Mm -hmm. zone Mm -hmm. and then once you've entered that draft zone you are allowed 25 seconds to pass generally depending on the race Mm -hmm. Um, and so interspersed with those blue flashes we put a little red flash every five seconds to give you a a mental countdown of your 25 second pastime.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's sort of a, now these signals are, are definitely going to change because um, we haven't done the user experience stuff out on courses with athletes and these sure. thresholds might not be quite right. They feel okay to us just sort of playing around with it, but um, that's the, the testing we've got coming up. And we've also had, you know, feedback around, well, part of the reason we went to blue and red was we couldn't have green and red because colorblind people wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, We've had feedback that uh, flash patterns are gonna be quite careful around epilepsy, You know that can trigger um, epilepsy, epilepsy um, episodes in some people. Mm-hmm. And then um, Jan van Berkel, the Swiss pro triathlete, good friend of ours, he's a lawyer, he mentioned to us the other day straight away, oh, you can't have blue flashing lights anywhere near a road in Switzerland, it's illegal. Oh yeah, <laughs> right, okay. So um, we're gonna need to do some uh, homework on that stuff, but there's some light signals of some sort and they'll guide you <laughs> as to how close you're allowed yeah. to be. <laughs> Uh, that's quite easy to to edit. Well, I really like the
2: fact that you're providing feedback to someone because previously there's there's nothing you can really use to measure other than your own judgment. And if you go ask ten people to measure out ten meters, you know whether they're triathletes or not, you're going to get ten different answers that are going to be widely varying, probably plus or minus fifty percent. Um, so it's yeah, it's a big challenge. And in the heat of the moment, like you, most people don't want to be cheating. Um, But it's nice to have that feedback as well, where you know, like, okay, I'm in a 12 meter zone or I'm in a 14 meter zone where I'm safe. I'm not drafting right now. Um, and we've discussed this before. There is actually a quite measurable difference in the amount of legal draft that you get at fourteen meters.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be sitting. I'm going to be sitting at fourteen meters. Like that's that's <laughs> the sweet spot, right? Like not only are you are you preventing illegal drafting, you're kind of you're you're helping the savvy the savvy triathlete mm-hmm. who is not cheating, who is following the rules to the letter, uh, to you know save some watts.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's not up to us to change those rules. Um, we've got opinions nope. on whether whether they should be or not, but, um, we just <laughs> have tried to change as little as possible. So this is the yeah. current rule framework and we'll fit around that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 20 meters, 20 meters is the real draft zone folks.
1: Yeah. I think it's, uh,
2: we've done the numbers before, but I think it's around like one to 2% drag reduction at 20 meters and it goes up to like
1: five to 8%. I could So it's just like using EPO at, even at 20 meters. So
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that's
0: assuming there's no wind, right, Andrew? This was your your point from way yes. back. If there's any kind of side wind, then it's zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, even at twenty yeah. meters.
2: Yeah, yeah the the amount of uh, distance that the draft would move if you've got like a say one meter per second crosswind, you're going to be one or two meters to the side, which is you're either in the gravel in the shoulder or in oncoming traffic. So (laughs) neither of those would be good solutions, but, uh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely a measurable difference. And I think on the right race course, uh, like you said, Michael, the savvy racer would stay at the limit of drafting and they would be able to, uh, modulate that. And to be honest, like I've been caught out before when, um, you're going along at a constant output. And then all of a sudden the person in front goes to take a drink and they just stop pedaling and, well, I'm inside the draft zone now, so I've got. I wasn't ready for it, but I've got to push through. So yeah. um, it could give you a little bit of pre-warning for that. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, those are the situations that come out during races. It's it's pretty natural to have all that stuff come up. And like you were saying, I think most referees won't be overly harsh with those things that are not intentional drafting. It's kind of a situational drafting event. Um, but I I do really like how you've implemented this, where there's there's multiple levels, and it gives you as well the, the completely intangible thing or the unmeasurable thing was the timing right like who has actually counted mm. out 25 seconds uh to pass someone or i forget the the amount of time if it's 40 seconds to drop back i can't remember the exact numbers off mm. count, but you've got to drop out of the draft zone as well and you have a fixed amount of time to do that and obviously it's in your best interest to stay as close to the person who just passed you as you can until you can't do that anymore because then you're benefiting (laughs) from their draft. So again, it's, it's using the rules in a legal way, but uh, using the rules to your, your own best advantage. But um, I think you give a really good opportunity for people to play within the rules and to, to be able to maximize their performance.
0: This is what happens when you come on to the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Like, no matter what we talk about, the conversation will get hijacked and we will talk about drafting. And, uh, well, that's not super topical, but about aerodynamics in one way or another. So that's, uh, you know, welcome to the show. Um, but uh, now, that we, now that we have a handle on what the athletes see and how they experience the system, what about the referees? What, is, um, what do they see on their end? And uh, maybe more importantly or equally as importantly, what can they do with that
1: data? Yeah, so um, as as I mentioned, we we designed this sort of video prototype without referees and then got the feedback that we needed to keep them involved. And so then the question was, okay, how do we do that? Um, And so we spent a lot of time with referees at events and sort of came up with this idea that, well, we sort of observed that they're they're not really officiating very efficiently, even without the drafting stuff on the bikes. Mm. Um, You've got referees on motorbikes. If they want to give you a drafting penalty, they basically write it down on a bit of paper or their, their wrist, and they then drive ahead to the penalty tent, wherever that might be, hand over another bit of paper that they have to sign, um, get off the motorbike and all this sort of thing, hand it over to someone else It then lays on a table with a whole lot of other bits of paper from other athletes. Um, (laughs) and, and they've hopefully got a stopwatch for every single one. And, uh, they start the right stopwatch when you enter the tent. And so all this time, the referee's not on their motorbike. They're off, off the course. They're not officiating. Um, and it also a lot of events you can be given a drafting warning rather than a penalty, just as a first sort of warning. And if one referee gives you a warning and then zooms off um, another referee comes along, doesn't know you've got a penalty. Mm. Uh, so we actually designed an app that connects those referees with what they, to improve what they're doing currently. And the idea is that they can either be on their phone, which they're actually currently doing in a lot of countries at the moment, they're communicating on WhatsApp between themselves on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Or we have this, uh, this harness, which is basically a a chopped in half backpack that um, goes on the back of the motorbike driver in front of them. So they've got a a tablet mounted on the shoulders of the motorbike driver, sort of in front of their face, (laughs) which is uh, sort of, it it seemed, I I was quite skeptical at first, but um, when you actually try it, it, it's actually quite usable and friendly. It's, um, it's like having a TV screen on an airplane, like when we used to have places to fly (laughs) and um, it's quite easy to use. And so this is, yeah, this is a great way of doing it. We made this very simple app that connects all their activities so they can type in an athlete's number, like um, 123, see if 123's got any warnings or penalties already, and mm-hmm. then proceed to apply a penalty as they currently do. Uh, they've got an internet connection with the tablet and that penalty goes straight to, you know, the cloud app and is shared with the penalty tent referee. And they then have a, a queue of athletes ready to arrive and serve penalties. And they just start their times um, on, the, on the queue and uh, it tells them when they're, ready to set them free. Um, and so that was sort of a, an initial, I guess it's become a, a sort of a separate product, this standalone app that, um, we're actually going to try and roll out to national federations around the world in the first half of 2022. Hmm. So, um, yeah, we've got a partnership with a another partner of world triathlon to bring that to the sport. And that's actually something that can be used for any level of triathlon, whether it be a hundred person sprint race with two referees to, you know, you really big events. Um, so that's quite exciting, but then we we had this, you know, the idea for us really was that that sets up the sport for when we've got the drafting information coming off the bikes. And if we get this app out there, there won't be as much change required for everyone. The referees will already be used to using technology, tablets, being connected, not having to get off the motorbike every 10 minutes. Um, and so, yeah, I guess leading on to what, what information actually comes off the race ranger units on bikes. Is um so. The feedback we got was the referees don't want to see every little piece of drafting; they only want to see the worst offenders. They want to target mm, the, sure. the serial really bad drafters. And so then we had to define: okay, well, what um, what constitutes really bad drafting? How do we rank um, these this offending? And uh, if you think about it, there's there's athletes who sit in a zone for too long. Um, there's athletes who you know, enter a zone as you say and but don't proceed to make that pass they drop back out which is technically a, a foul. they should be penalized yeah. Yeah. Um, but but in reality is that drop is that person who drops out actually you know cheating as badly as someone who sits there for a minute and doesn't you know complete a pass um, so in reality a referee might come up to you and say hey just just drop your distance back a little bit there and um, and they'll actually you know encourage you to do that so what we came up with was a rolling average of the last 15 minutes. Uh, of illegal time. So a legal time is anything over your allowed 25 seconds, we start a timer, mm-hmm. or anything that constitutes like that yo-yo situation. If you drop back out, that whole time that you spent in there is legal time. Um, and of course, if you've been overtaken and you haven't dropped out in time out the back, um, that's a legal time as well. So a few sources of what we're calling a legal time, and then a, um, an aggregation of that over the last, 15 minutes as a rolling average. So, um, for example, if Michael, if you've been drafting for two minutes in the last 15 minutes. I um, never draft. Oh, <sighs> just illegal let's, just, time. let's just be clear. Okay. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Yarn yeah, <I> dropped you.
0: Yarn <laughs> um, <laughs> dropped me. Yeah, okay, fair. That's <laughs> yeah, easier. That's, that's, that's much missed. more believable.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so um, that you, you, if you were the worst of within range of that referee, and so the referee has a, a visible range of up to five ten kilometers ahead and behind them along the course mm-hmm. um, then you would be picked out as one of those worst sort of five or six that they are gonna have visibility off and they're not going to see um, you know every little piece maybe Andrew when he just did, did five seconds of illegal time he might not show up in that in that worst um, in that worst mistake. five or six exactly <laughs> so we're, we're trying to target the worst offenders and then give the referee a way to rank those and see where those athletes are so mm. we're giving them that piece of information and then we actually give them that yo-yo count as well as a secondary piece of information. So it's a second column, but it's not a ranking factor. Um, and then also a total reported legal time. So they can also see maybe one of you's only shown up in like fourth or fifth place because you've only been doing maybe a minute of drafting, um, say in this ranking. Um, but so far in the race, you might have done a lot of drafting. So that might be something the referee finds interesting and they might mm. monitor you a bit for the next 10 minutes to see what you're actually doing. Um, rather than just taking that that one snapshot, and so the referee has the static view of um, the worst five, um, some information about them, and then where they're located on the course in relation to the motorbike's position currently, so hmm. ahead and behind them along the course, uh, and they have pretty good range of off these things. It's guns and tech. It's using a LoRa connection, which is um, basically a local local network that doesn't require um, you know base stations or or satellites to to set it up. Uh, the referee. On the motorbike, they have a sort of a modem-sized gateway, which uh, receives incoming signals from athletes' bikes um, when they're reporting that illegal time. And then they then have the internet connection on the motorbike, which you know does the decision-making in the cloud uh, to decide what to show them. Um, and so, yeah, they, they have this information. We actually think you know, that, that range is a bit of an overkill, and we might actually, a usable range might be sort of a mile or two ahead and behind you. Um, before it gets to you know too far out to actually want to worry about people, and so you can see, okay, yeah, there you are. I'll go and have a look at you, and yeah.
2: Well, I think there's going to be a big psychological aspect too, because um, you know, if you ask someone, what would you do if you know you're not going to get caught, right? That that answer is it really defines how people act, and if people. Think that the spotlight is on them five or ten kilometers out. They're going to be a lot more cautious than if they think, "Oh, you've got a two hundred meter range, just you know, just beyond what I can hear a motorcycle." Um, so I think it 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 maybe forces a little bit more honesty <laughs> for people, which is not really honesty in my opinion, but uh, it forces people to to behave. Um, but what I would really be interested in is seeing how basically how groups of people change their actions over time. So when you initially implement this you're probably going to have a lot of drafting and people you know there it could be honest like where they are sitting in the zone and don't really realize that they're drafting um and they get maybe flagged for that but over time people will realize much more acutely what the the draft range is and they'll realize that they're going to get caught for this and i wouldn't be surprised if your aggregate numbers for the entire race uh drop over time where people Hmm. become much more cautious about drafting because there's this this onus, they're, they're going to get caught or they have a high likelihood of getting caught.
0: That's an interesting point. Is it, are you at a risk of, of, uh, being so <laughs> successful? You, you, you drive yourself out
1: of business?
2: Well, it's like Nicorette, right? They don't want to be that successful. <laughs> <Hopefully. 'cause> then... <laughs>
1: I, I don't think so. <laughs> I think, um, the big thing is that it should reduce people's anxiety on the day because they'll have this light. So they'll know, they'll know, like, you know, Everyone does a little bit of drafting now and then. You know, you're in a draft zone. You get stuck in those situations, particularly in busy events. Um, but as long as you're not actively trying to do it and you're you're um, you know, you're trying to avoid it best you can, um, you shouldn't show up in those worst five or six uh, who are you know probably doing it more actively. And then even if you do show up, you won't be showing up as as that bad. So the referee is probably going to use some human judgment and still not give you a penalty. But at least you have the peace of mind to know that they are looking at, at you, but they're looking at everyone else around you as well. And they're not potentially just going to pick on you that they happen to see for, you know, you mentioned the 25 seconds that who's ever been watched by a referee for 25 seconds and then given a penalty. It's um it's a snap decision. They make a call because they know you're going to adjust your behavior while they're there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't want to get caught in that trap. So at least you know that, you know, if you get caught, you probably deserved it. And if you, if people around you aren't getting caught, they probably don't deserve it either. So um, hopefully, it reduces some anxiety out the course.
0: So then, uh, so the, you, know, you mentioned uh, when we were doing the introduction that you're really only a couple of weeks into formally launching Race Rangers. So what are the what are the early steps? I know, um, having read that article on on Ray's website about your product, that you're in uh, in talks with some fairly you know high profile races. What are those next steps?
1: Yep, so um, we've we've engaged with uh, World Triathlon pretty early, the international governing body of triathlon. They mm-hmm. control, they basically control and write the rules, um, you know, obviously in co- consultation with all their member countries around the world and, and they actually bring in, um, you know, representatives from Man and, and the other big events into those rule change discussions. So that's sort of recognized as having the most complete and the gold standard of, of rules that, um, you know, it would make no sense for an Man or a challenge or, or someone else to go and write a 200 page legal document and maintain that. So, mm-hmm. IT, world Triathlon, formerly ITU, have got that locked down. And so we, we wanted to work with them pretty early on because if there were going to be need to be any rule changes, um, and particularly official and technical official referee training as well, so right. getting them um, you know prepared around the world to use this, we needed them involved. And they've yeah, really been really supportive. Obviously, um, with that app we made, they um, sort of hosted us for a trial at their World Champs in 2019 in Lausanne in Switzerland. Um, and so that was really cool. And yeah, they've had some great feedback. So we sort of put the word out for the launch with them. Um, we've also been talking with, uh, with Ironman and and challenge and, and, you know, obviously PTO and a lot of other sort of independent events out there. Um, and I guess up to now, the feedback has sort of been, Hey, this is sounds like a great concept. Love what you're doing. Um, give us a call when it's ready. (laughs) So it didn't really, (laughs) didn't really seem that real. And, um, I guess the development sort of reached the stage where we were ready. We were happy enough with the product, the you know the prototype stage we're at, that we could put a some Im- images out in the world uh, as an MVP. So it's um, before that, it's been quite a large, ugly-looking thing that I you know would never be happy with anyone seeing. But um, <laughs> at the stage we're at now, and actually, honestly, since the, the launch two weeks ago, we've actually even made it a little bit smaller. So it's quite quite exciting. I hope we have some some uh, news and some images about that in the next month. But um, cool. Yeah, it was the first sort of one that we were happy enough to, to show people. And we we're about to start doing some public trials and tests over sort of New Zealand summer events, December and January. And so I wanted to sort of get the, the launch out of the way, um, get us out there, do all the podcasts and things so that um, <laughs> sure. by the time we're traveling to events from week to week and um, getting all that user experience feedback, uh, we, we wouldn't have to worry about this. But um, I guess back to the events. So, yeah, we just want them to really know what we're doing at this point, um, show some interest if they want but um, really after we've done these trials, so sort of towards the end of our summer here, so sort of March, April time, we'd be looking to properly have those discussions around, okay, that works, um, we look need to scale up to, you know, maybe 50 units next and then 100 through 2022. Um, what does that look like? Can we do that with you? And then um, beyond that, you know, the goal is that we'd sign some sort of agreement to offer the service at their events um, and, uh, you know, which stage we're at now, we could quite feasibly do that in the twenty twenty three season.
2: the The really interesting thing for me throughout this conversation has been realizing that it's not so much a policing device, but it's I would argue that it actually enhances the the enjoyment and the competitiveness of any given event and the the satisfaction of the people taking part. Totally. So, I mean, for anyone. Uh, who might be from Ironman or Challenge or uh, any of the other big uh, events, if the, if you're listening, think of the improvement in racer experience that you could be offering with this, because like, I'm I'm super excited hearing about this because drafting drives me crazy. Um, like I, I love it from the point of the physics and understanding the aerodynamics, but I hate <laughs> it from the point of the the competitiveness. So, um, so I'm really looking forward to this I'm really really excited and I think this is one of the first devices that's been targeted more at impacting the the behavior of people around you as opposed to um, educating your own training because a lot of devices like power meters heart rate monitors you know core body temperature monitoring which I mean Michael you and I've endlessly talked about that but uh, those are all things that educate yourself but this this gives information to people around you which is a new approach to things. And I think it's, it's a really good step forward. I'm, I'm extremely excited.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's uh uh there's so much you know anyone any one of us who's done a race like you know like a big deal race like your key race for the year um there's so much uh obviously training time and finances and 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 emotion and uh all of that stuff tied into that event and when you feel like you were either given a a penalty improperly especially if you're competitive and, and vying for a spot or maybe you were you know you see blatant drafting which obviously we've all seen in the past and that that's that that can only sour your race experience so anything that can um you know that can preclude any one of those things from happening that that adds to the racer experience andrew i totally agree with what you just said so yeah um i'd love to i'd love to strap one of these things on my bike in the well
2: in the maybe two years two years hence and uh, and give it give it a go so we've spent a lot of time talking about how this is actually going to impact the, the experience of everyone and how the, the technology is meant to work. But uh, the amazing thing is we've, amazing for us, I guess, is we've actually <laughs> skipped over how the tech works. Um, you did a little bit of a lead into that saying you had problems with other types of uh, technologies and you had experimented with a few things. But what did you actually settle on? What is the, the basis of this technology?
1: Yeah, so the, um, the core technology is ultra wideband. So this is the same mm-hmm. as in the Apple AirTags, which uh, came out earlier this year, and uh, it's obviously not the same chips or anything, but um, yeah, same same fundamental technology. Um, and so when we when we came across it, it was fairly uh, not not that well known at all. Um, it was basically used as an indoor GPS um, for it. so basically warehousing. Um, you'd have fixed anchors mounted in the along the roof in the corners of a warehouse, and then you'd have tags. Um, uh, on on pallets or people or uh, forklifts, and and the, the anchors would track the tags moving, and so it was a sort of two mode system, and um, so we we basically needed to convert that into an anchorless system out in the road where it's just a bunch of riders' devices talking to each other with no fixed known points, um, and so to do that we had to um, remove all the all the firmware right down to the very base level um, and rewrite from the ground up to teach it to do what we needed it to do basically um and that that was uh was yeah that was probably a year <laughs> and then um we ended up getting it working but we found ultimately that um once we had about 15 bikes talking to each other um the system got overloaded the bandwidth tapped out mm. and uh that was unfortunate and we you know we wanted we wanted to maintain a level of you know a really good reliable reliability the system can't sort of work most of the time it has to has to be something that you can rely on all the time, it, it if there's sort of a couple of cases where it doesn't work, the athletes will lose faith in it and you know not trust anything. So, reliability was a big thing for us, and so we had a you know minimum standard of sort of four measurements per second um, to each of the other devices. So, with 15 riders, you'd have you know multiple different messages going on, and, and at, at sort of 15, it, it sort of started crashing. And We wanted to try and get to up to about 50. Um, because potentially you could have quite a large bunch riding one direction, mm. maybe another bunch riding the other direction on the road, and we just mm. need it to always always work. Um, so yeah, the ultra wideband was great in that it makes a really accurate distance measurement. Uh, very, very accurate. Um, and it's yeah really fast and low power and really reliable. It doesn't um, get affected by, you know, if it, if it rains, if it, um, if the temperature changes or the pressure changes, it's speed it's of light, it's not any sort of sound wave or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, really cool stuff. Um, but yeah, we had this issue around sort of tapping out the bandwidth. And so we, we sort of went back to drawing board and decided on, um, a Bluetooth beacon. So not a, not a pairing like um, most of our, uh, our devices these days, but a beacon where it's, it's sending out an advertisement, um, of your, your ID and your GPS position. And this will give us a rough approximation. So if we're sort of 50 meters apart or more, maybe maybe up to 70 meters apart, our devices could be advertising, my front advertisers, your rear is scanning for those advertisements. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if one of those is picked up, uh, your rear compares um, that GPS position with your own at that time, and then gives us a rough approximation of the distance apart, so that we can keep tabs on a larger number of riders, mm-hmm and then flick over to the ultra wide band to the group that we really want to know about when they're in that relevant drafting range. Um, so we don't really want to know exactly where you are when you're that far away. We just kind of Mm -hmm. need to know roughly where you are. And then, um, we can still handle, you know, we can still handle a good number with the ultra wide band only in that sort of drafting zone of a sort of 20, 25 meter radius. Um, but beyond that we can handle a lot larger number. Um, and, we're saying that the the Bluetooth GPS range can come within that range as well. So yeah, we can handle a large number of riders together, basically. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, and that yeah, that seemed to work really well. And uh, we don't need a high level of accuracy with that GPS measurement. Obviously, GPS is there's there's some really great GPS out there, but you need a really quite large antenna. Um, and then you, if if you're comparing one one athlete's GPS position to another, you sort of double the error. So we didn't want to rely just on that for our distance measurement. And obviously, GPS can be a bit patchy. So you've got mountains and tunnels and cities where potentially you can lose your GPS position. So we didn't want it to be the core technology that we rely on. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a sort of a supplementary thing.
2: Well, I like that approach using multiple different solutions, essentially, or multiple different things together and playing off their individual strengths and weaknesses to, to come up with a more robust overall system. And the neat thing from, I guess, an engineering standpoint is these are all pretty low with the exception of GPS, but they're pretty low energy mm-hmm. consumption devices. Um, so I know Bluetooth is very low energy. Um, like B L E is Bluetooth low energy. Um, and then the the UWB chips, uh the ultra wideband chips, they're I think I don't know offhand, I would assume higher than uh Bluetooth, but lower than GPS. Um But it's not a tremendous amount. Yeah, it's not a tremendous amount of power consumption that you're going through, so you don't need to carry around, you know, a kilogram worth of batteries. (laughs) And I would assume if you're using a laser rangefinder that's constantly going, um, to be first of all bright enough. Like what you mentioned, you'd need a lot of energy for that, and then, Mm. um, you know, the the battery that you'd have to carry would be quite substantial as well. So it's it's a very creative solution. I like the engineering behind it.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, there's been some big brains on it. Definitely not not my own. Um, there's uh, yeah. I should probably talk about how we sort of got it done. We um, we found a a guy in Christchurch who'd worked with similar technology before and made the player tracking devices that um, a lot of sports teams use on the back of their jerseys. Um, and so he he'd made that and a whole lot of other devices with his his company. He had sort of fifteen guys and girls working for him. Um, and so he yeah he loved the idea and we've been working with him since twenty seventeen. Um, and we sort of branched into um, needing some full-time staff of our own. Um, and so there's a really good university in Christchurch in New Zealand, which is called Canterbury University. It's probably the top engineering sort of university in New Zealand. It's the same town as where this other company is. And mm-hmm. um, the, it turns out that the wireless research department within the engineering department there, um, the guy who runs it is an age group trifleet. So um, oh, perfect. huge stroke of luck there.
0: We're everywhere. And,
1: uh, yeah. So, uh, he's fed us basically his top PhD grads and master's students to become, um, we sort of had these grants from the government to take them on as employees, but they've become employees of ours and, uh, mm. they actually work out of his lab at the uni still. So he's given us sort of workspace there. Um, hope that the university aren't, aren't listening, but, um, we've managed to keep that rolling and, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that's no, been really helpful. So, um, yeah, some, some big sort of big brains been working on it and, um, yeah. Things are really hitting the right direction now. So Oh, it's awesome.
2: Well, I like the the fact that these ideas like they tend to bring people together, right? If someone has a good idea, the the right people come out of the woodwork, you seem to make the right connections. And it always seems to work out that way because ideas tend to inspire people a lot. And I just again I love hearing these kind of stories where everything lines up the right way and it seems like it has for you. And yeah, very cool technology. I'm very excited about hearing the next phase.
0: Thanks james this has been uh has been a ton of fun um both like nerding out over over exactly how it works, although I think that's more like Andrew's bag <laughs> and like oh, <laughs> but uh I'm you know as as he said like my wheels my wheels are turning about how how this could potentially change racing you know how this could how this could as we as we were talking about improve the race experience and it is uh kind of like the mo of our podcast and sometimes we get bogged down talking about the, you know the same topic and just slightly different iterations of of aerodynamic drag but uh it's it's uh this is um really a novel um a novel piece of kit that we haven't touched on so thank you for coming on the show and uh you know sharing the journey and sharing the the tech with us thanks guys
1: pleasure nice to meet you
2: is there any way that our listeners can follow along with your journey and, and how things are being implemented at the different race, uh, organizers?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, we've, we've launched our website. So www.raceranger.com. And, um, there's a, there's a whole lot of FAQs on there, which go pretty deep, which, uh, Ray mentioned on this, on this review. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, we sort of made a point of trying to answer everyone's questions. It's not a, it's not, it's not, you know, just the new elastic laces or, or a new bike where there's two <laughs> or three features and you see the picture and you get it. It's a bit yeah. to kind of to digest and get your head around, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, we tried to sort of answer everyone's questions there. So check that out. Um, and then, yeah, we've, we've set up, you know, social media accounts. The Instagram seems to be the most popular so far. Um, it's race.ranger. And um, yeah, happy to, we'll, we'll definitely be sharing sort of our testing and, and sort of development as we go along. Um, as I mentioned, we've got another iteration of of the front unit. We've made it a bit more aero than, than what you see currently, um, on the, on the images on the website. So pretty excited about that in the last couple of days, cool. um, but, um, yeah, we've, uh, yeah, put it all up there and, and just really want to get everyone behind us. I think because it's sort of ultimately we've got to convince the event companies that this is something that their customers want and, uh, yeah. that sort of demand's got to come from their customers or the athletes. And so, um, yeah, hopefully everyone can get behind it and, and sort of demand <laughs> it of the, of the events and we'll, we'll be in
0: business. Well, there you go. Listeners. That's, that's your call to action right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but yeah, anyone, anyone listening to this podcast, if you think that something like this is going to uh, improve your race experience and uh, you know, let your, let your local race, your big race know that this is something that uh, that you're, that you're after and that you uh, you want them to keep tabs on. And then for our own sake uh, we'll, we'll obviously be following along James. And if you have any kind of fun press releases, you can send them our way because um uh, periodically, uh usually when we when we stuff up getting a guest on the show, Andrew and I will do a solo show or <laughs> just the two of us, and we'll we'll talk about stuff that we are you know
2: revealing all our secrets here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a peek behind the curtain. Um, we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about you know things that we're following, things Great. that we're we're dorking over, um and so uh yeah, we'll be happy to share any updates that you may send our way.
1: Cool. And if anyone wants to um, you know reach out, contact us. Um, yeah there's some context on our website but yeah hello at raceranger.com is uh, address as well. yeah
0: well well as usual uh listeners will put all of the stuff in the in the show notes as well um i think with that we'll uh we'll call it and uh say thank you again to james and thank you all to all of you for tuning in and for listening um if you like the show give us a rating and a review on itunes and uh consider supporting us on patreon which is at patreon.com slash thanks everyone